Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, again, we're going to find our place this morning in God's Word on 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15 as we look at this this idea of thanks for giving. You see what I did there? Thanks for giving. Thanksgiving. Yeah. You caught it. We have spent much of November as a church attempting to genuinely share in Thanksgiving with one another and 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 for others that deserve our gratitude more than just uh, one day or more than just one month out of the year. Um, uh, Melanie has been a, a good steward of, 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 of every week putting out thank you cards and encouraging us to take the opportunity to, again, make this more than just one day a year, um, but really make this a, a spirit of Thanksgiving, a time of Thanksgiving. Um, well, Thursday is the big day, and I I mentioned uh, just a minute ago about it being Turkey Day, and, and, and we all have our traditions. Growing up, we would always have turkey, and then we always have the family football game, which mom, I think, hurt her back one year because um, dad decided to tackle her, and we won't go any further with that. Um, and then there it was always the, the, the uh, Thursday afternoon movie. We always did lunch growing up, and then we would always catch a matinee, uh, and, and we would catch usually a Christmas movie, try to put us in the spirit of the season, and uh, and that was always uh, a tradition. Was you know, and when we get the opportunity uh, to do so, we still do a lot of those things. Um, in fact, this year for the first time, I think in about three or four years, I get to go home. I, I, I we've had to be here for one reason or another um, the last three or four years, so this is kind of exciting that I get a chance to be uh, back at my house on Thanksgiving. Well, again, we all have our traditions, and maybe even uh, some of us take some time. I remember a couple years ago, Dad decided he was going to do something different. Uh, he, he liked to do those kinds of things. And, and so we were all sitting there getting ready to eat, and I mean, plates full, and he said, all right, before we start to eat, we're going to go around the table and say what we're thankful for. It didn't go over so well, especially with the food that was already, I mean, the stomach's already growling. Mom's like, come on, the tea's getting hot, you know, come on. Uh, it, again, it was not a tradition that lasted. Uh, but maybe you've done something similar, or maybe you took some time even that afternoon later to, in the day to just kind of go around and, and, and call out the things that you were thankful for. Um, but here is where I want uh, us to be challenged this morning and where we are going to spend our time studying what God's Word says about thanksgiving and how that turns into a, an opportunity to serve and to give a, the world a testimony. The reason we have to be thankful for salvation is because of what God gave us in sacrificing His Son. 
What we need to ask ourselves this Thanksgiving and all times of Thanksgiving is what are we willing to give because of our revelation of the magnificent blessings of salvation and that what He has given to us. What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to give up in order to testify to that truth? Paul teaches about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And giving for Paul becomes a reality for the follower of Christ because of thanksgiving. In other words, it's, it's from a place of gratitude that we even are prompted to give or to serve or to sacrifice. It's because of the realization of what God has done or what He has provided us. When we come face to face with this reality, the only genuine response for Paul is service. It is giving. It is sacrifice. In other words, the great sacrifice demands great sacrifice. Or rather, it commands it. Paul's words here teach us about giving abundantly. It, it, it teaches about our giving ability. It teaches about giving affirmation, and finally, giving acknowledged. We start looking this morning first at how much we should give in what quantity, if you will. Well, the text tells us to give abundantly. Look again at verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9. It says, remember this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We, we, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, a popular text to throw around when we're talking about service or giving or, or uh, providing uh, back to God what He has given us or even a tenth percent or whatever uh, percent you feel uh, as though your family should give. We talk about God loving the cheerful giver and how our hearts should be cheerful when we give and that uh, it shouldn't be done out of guilt or it shouldn't be done out of obligation but should rather come from a place of of cheerfulness. It should come from a place of genuine connection with the passion for what uh, we say we serve and who we say we serve. But more than that one simple part of those two verses, the message there that, that lies within those two simple verses is so straightforward. In fact, if, if of all the things that we, we probably learned this morning is probably the most straightforward truth that what we sow, we reap. In other words, the actions that we take, they have direct consequences. 
That is one truth that no matter what you claim, and no matter what uh, worldview you want to hold to, you cannot escape in this world. You cannot escape the consequences of your actions. You can delay them. Sometimes you can influence them, but you can never escape the consequences of the choices and of the actions that we take in this life. But more than, than just escaping or facing or dealing with the consequences of our actions, what God's Word teaches us without fail and with consistency is that what we invest in is going to have a direct impact on the results or on the response that we receive in kind. What becomes our heart, what becomes our passion in this life will become the reward we receive, will become the, the life we claim to hold dear. The word's full of different examples of this very truth. You have the story of the, the manager who went off and and gave his servants some talents, the parable of the talents. You've got the, the, the parable of the different soil, the rich soil, the soil that's rocky, and uh, all the different uh, examples there. You, you have stories of, of foundation, of solid rock or sinking sand. Story after story, scripture after scripture, parable after parable, but the inescapable truth where we invest and what becomes our passion and what becomes our heart as a people says a whole lot about our future. I mentioned last week, no, no, no farmer is going to go out and plant a soybean crop and expect to receive corn. It, 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 it's simple math. My dad, one year, decided to go out and plant some tomatoes. He's planted tomatoes every year since. But there was that one year in particular in which we had more tomatoes than you could ever dream of. In fact, I think we were dreaming of tomatoes as a family. I mean, we threw, I, we threw out more tomatoes than we ate. That's, I'm serious. He, I don't know what, what happened with the soil that year, I do know that he planted way too many plants. He, he, he went out there and prepared way, he prepared for a farmhouse, I think, when he planted those tomato plants. But the, you know, one thing I, I come away with reflecting on that season of tomatoes is that if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, if you prepare for a large harvest, abundance is what you get. If you give a little, then you receive a little. If you give much, you receive much. It's a simple mathematical equation. Generous contributions produce a bountiful yield. But each should give as he or she has decided in his or her heart. 
That's the other big truth on these two verses that we just witnessed. Sincere thought must be given to the giving. Giving should be deliberate so that it becomes a connection with the joy of thanksgiving. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. How can we ever be cheerful if we are not having a direct connection and a, a direct relationship with why we are giving? It's why it's, Scripture teaches don't let one hand see what the other hand is giving. It's about being genuine when it comes to serving and sacrificing and providing that portion for which God has laid on our hearts. I don't know what number your family has set up. Scripture teaches in the Old Testament 10%. Some families will go uh, and challenge themselves to step up and, and give 15%. Hey, we give our, we give our uh, servers 15%. Well, if you're really good, you give them 20%. I give, try to give 20% tip a lot of times because I know what it's like to deal with me. Whatever percentage God has given, I, I don't think God sits up with his heavenly math computer and tabulates it. I think he looks into the heart of, of the individual giving. That's what Scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that, that God looks into the heart of a man. and He looks in the heart of, of the giver. And that he shouldn't see compulsion. He shouldn't see re reluctance. He shouldn't see uh, guiltful giving, he should see a direct relationship with what you acknowledge you received. I mean, heck, if, if, we, if we truly testify that what we have received is everlasting life and everlasting hope, then how can we give anything less than everything we have to offer? The problem with all of this, and the problem with all of this mathematical equations and all the, the, the jargon I just spewed is that the fact that sometimes we fool ourselves into believing that somehow we're in managers of all of this, that somehow we own all of this, that somehow that paycheck that goes into the bank belongs to me. That's what the government says, so we know they're... We know they're above board. You see, when we start to recognize that none of what we have is ours to begin with, if we start to recognize and realize that we're not self-made, that we are not self-sufficient, that we are dependent, that we are in a place of need and constant need of God's provision and of His uh, service and His love and mercy and grace and, and all of that, then, then giving 10%, 15%, 20 it, it doesn't matter. Because God's grace is ultimately to be reciprocated voluntarily. As chapter 8, verse 3 says, freely, 
as chapter 9, verse 5 says, generously. And as it's echoed here in verses 6 and 7. So we've established the attitude behind giving and the amount we should give, but, but where is all this giving going to come from? Paul goes on to reveal here in his word that we are enabled to give due to the truth that God simply provides. That's as simple as it is. He gives us the giving ability. Look at verses 8 through 11 again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, we'll, we'll pick up there in a minute. I mean, gosh knows, did you, did you really reflect on the, 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 the words, the song indescribable that we just sang? I mean, we're talking about a God who created the heavens. We're talking about a God who created the earth. We're talking about a God who created the pews that we're sitting on, a God who created these walls, a God who created this fan that's keeping me from sweating tonight, uh, this morning. We're, we're talking about a God who created all that we know. How can we ever become to doubt whether or, enough, whether or not there is enough to accomplish whatever task that he sets us out to accomplish? I mean, there's something, there really is something to this whole stepping out on faith. I know churches throw that out there all the time. We've got to step out there on faith and trust that God's going to provide. There really is something to that. And witnessing God provide Exactly the amount that is needed is a story that will never get old. Those who are coming again on Wednesday nights to be a part of the uh, Jim Symbolius Bible study on, on uh, When God's People Pray, if you go back and you read his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, again, you maybe have heard me talk about, again, the testimony of his church. The testimony, that's the, basically that book entails the testimony. I mean, again, this church... In the, middle of, uh, in the middle of New York, with, with about 20 people, started this, 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 this church that is now one of the largest in the world, has, again, choired, it wins Grammy after Grammy after Grammy, but enough of the accolades. The point that he goes on to make in his, in his book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, is he talks a lot extensively about those first few days of starting the church and how there were days in which he did not know, or weeks in which he did not know how they were going to pay the rent. They would collect the offering and then he would look at it and he would see, we're not going to be able to pay the rent. They'd pass the offering back out. You know, you've seen church, church done this before, you know, and get another offering. Get it back, still realize, hey, this ain't enough. But you're not going to send an offering out that third time. So trust God provides some, some other way. Again, story after story of where a knock would come on the door and, and he would approach and, and there was just a letter slipped under the mat of a check for the, the amount that was needed to pay the additional deficit that was lacking to pay the rent. 
We all have a story, I'm sure, like that. I, I have plenty of them. Dating all the way back to my days in school at, Gar at Gardner-Webb, in which I didn't know how I was going to buy books because financial aid had run out, and, and then somehow, some way, a check would wind up in the mail that I forgot about. Or one of those, one of those moments in which God just provides exactly what it is we need. You know, God relieves any fears that generous giving will leave us impoverished. I mean, if that's the fear, if the fear is if I give this, this extra amount to the church, I don't know how I'm going to pay X bill, Y bill, whatever is coming up. Well, my friend, maybe God's not big enough to us if that's the way we see things. Because God is greater than both the needs and the fears of running out of the resources to give. By His power, God makes His grace overflow abundantly toward the abundant giver so that in turn, they may overflow in good works as the Word says and cause God's will and desires to be done. God will not abandon the giver. He remains true or righteous. Because God is both powerful and faithful, full of grace, those who give are set free to be even more generous. I mean, you've heard if you're a good steward with a little, He'll give you a lot. It is God who gives the seed. It is God who provides the bread. If we pick back up in our scripture, it says in verse 9, as it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You know, there's a myth that says that God doesn't like rich people or God doesn't allow people to become rich. Scripture just says right here, God will make those who give rich. It's about what's in the heart of a person. What, what one declares as wealth. What one declares as value. It's those kind of rich, quote unquote rich, that he defines. It is He who enables us to have what we have to give. It starts with Him, not us. What begins to happen when we give abundantly is that God's grace and provision overflows from us to others. So that what we give is not all that we receive, but also an understanding of a of who God is and what He is full of. Grace. 
It is here that our giving becomes a testimony. It is here that it becomes an affirmation of our faith and our trust in God. So we look as Paul begins to define giving as affirmation. Verse 12 through 13. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. I mean, what do we really believe is going to happen when that shoe, those shoeboxes right there leave this building? I mean, is our faith only but so large that we can't see beyond the possessions that are in that box? I, I've talked about over the last few weeks of... of of getting a chance over the last few years to go over to the Samaritan's Purse uh, headquarters over here in Charlotte and to help pack the shoeboxes. Uh, several of you have mentioned that you've gotten a chance to do that as well. And again, I, I'll tell you, even if, um, you've ne- if you've never had a chance, if you have, a, have time these next, uh, these next uh, week or so to go over there and do that, you can just walk in or you can call over and schedule a time, just yourself, your family, to go over there and volunteer. But always, they always show, they show videos of these children opening these presents and, and getting a chance to, to, to actually unlock the, the mystery that's behind these boxes. And, and it's interesting because I, I, I've gone, gone over the years with Sarah out to the Dollar Tree or Toy Store or whatever and, and bought some of these things and put them together and, and, or... If you go and pack shoe boxes, they have a box full of toys, so they don't want to pack those shoe boxes. So, but what's so interesting is I watch these videos of these children opening these, these boxes and, and unlocking these treasures and hidden treasures, and I start to notice, hey, I, I remember getting a child one of those years ago. I remember they, they must have gone to the same Dollar Tree I went to because I, I remember packing some of those things. And, and it begins to connect some of the reality to the, to the fact that, that these, these missions, these activities, these projects we put together, that they're much larger than just giving us something to do as a church. Hey, look, I'll be the first one to say it's better for a church to be busy than to be complacent. It's better for a church to, to engage in busy work than to sit on its hands. But do you understand what will happen in the church if it fully realizes that the activities that it engages in have eternal implications? If we recognize and realize these ministries we put together, that these, these, these dreams we envision, these, these realities that become known and, and realize, they go so much further than the experiences that, that can be bottled up or boxed up. They testify 
to how big our God is. And they testify to the kind of love and the kind of grace and hope that we attempt to share. See, that's what I mean by giving becoming an affirmation. Becoming an affirmation of our faith, of our belief, of our trust in God. See, not only are needs met, but people begin to understand why we give. We give because we have been first given so much. We give because it's an expression of our obedience to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Many who are on the receiving end of our giving begin to receive much more than shoeboxes full of toys or food or clothes or possessions or money or any of those basic needs we might try to provide. They begin to receive a testimony of the one who provides it for us to give, of Jesus Christ. Giving generously becomes part of our witness, becomes part of the witness to the world. So what does the giver get out of all of this? The giver, as we close out our text this morning, gets acknowledgement. Verses 14 and 15 and in their prayers for your, you in their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. They will know we are Christians by our love. They will know who we are by how we act and by what we demonstrate by how much we give. God's Word tells us that the process of giving goes full circle. As those who give are remembered by those who receive. See, our giving inspires more thanks and more giving. So how is God challenging you this morning? To give more generously? Would you be sure to recognize that it is God that gives us the ability to give generously and trust Him more by giving on faith? And remember, your giving is a part of your testimony. It's a part of our testimony as a church, but it's a part of your testimony as a the believer in Christ. Are you committed to becoming a generous giver this Thanksgiving? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we reflect this week on all that we have to be thankful for, may we above, above all Recognize the need to be thankful for the only true gift worth unwrapping. A gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ. A gift of everlasting life.
Lord, if that's our desire, to share that message with a world that is in need, a world that is, is full of need. And we take the time this morning to have thanksgiving. To have thanksgiving in our heart. So much so that it inspires us to step out on faith and to give and to give generously. To make sure that our giving is a true reflection of what we have first found in the hope and the relationship with Jesus Christ. For it is in His name we pray. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.